You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode number 30 of that one time on tour is brought to you by Sticker Wolf. Sticker Wolf, we do stickers for a living. Based in Orlando, Florida, Sticker Wolf prints full color and uses a heavyweight vinyl that sticks to nearly everything. They also use a laminate with a five to seven year UV over laminate for the best protection available. Thicker, longer lasting, more durable, and more affordable than the competition. StickerWolf.com. Hey, this is Emily Whitehurst from Tsunami Bomb and Survival Guide, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with somebody in or around the music industry. Last week was really cool. We had Pete Parada from The Offspring. The Offspring tweeted the show out and uh, the show blew up. So thank you guys so much for checking out last week's episode with Pete. This week, I get to sit down with Emily Whitehurst, formerly Agent M of Tsunami Bomb and uh, currently in her own thing she's got going on called Survival Guide, which is really, really cool. So before I get into my conversation with Emily, I do need to tell you guys about my amazing sponsors. Uh, I need to tell you about Rockabilia.com. They're on for more episodes. I love Rockabilia. I just got a nice care package from them. I got a really cool Misfit shirt. I got an Alkaline Trio hoodie. It's an amazing company. They have over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the bands. The bands are getting paid. The quality is amazing. You need to go to Rockabilia.com. Especially, you know, tomorrow is Halloween, so you, you've snoozed, you lose, you know, but they have all kinds of really cool stuff for Halloween. They've got Iron Maiden Eddie masks. They've got all the spooky band shirts that you want. Rockabilly is amazing. Frankie, you're an awesome guy. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. So go to rockabilly.com and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT, and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. I also need to tell you guys about Muncie Music Center. I tell you every week, uh, it's the store that I work at in Muncie and Indiana. I teach guitar, anything with strings, I teach it. They have anything that you would want, band instruments, guitars, basses, amps, recording equipment, anything that you want, they've got it. So check them out at 600 South Mulberry Street in Muncie, Indiana, or online at muncymusic.com. Okay, make sure you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's TOTOT Podcast. If you want to become a sponsor, we haven't had a lot of band sponsors lately. I'm hoping to change that in the future. But if you want to get in touch with me, it's TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. You can also call the TOTOT hotline. That is 1-765-372-8818. And just get in touch, you know, let me know what's going on. I'm going to get right into my conversation with Emily. I want to thank you guys so much for the support. And uh, I had a really cool conversation today for episode 31 with my buddy Ryan. Ryan J. Downey, and he hosts a, a podcast called Speak and Destroy. It's everything Metallica. I'm going to be a guest on his show very soon, but his episode of this show is going to be out next week, so come back for that. But uh, yeah, I'm going to get into it right now. Thank you guys so much for everything. Here is my conversation with Emily Whitehurst, formerly Agent M of Tsunami Bomb and Survival Guide. Here we go. And I'm 
on the line with Emily Whitehurst from uh, Tsunami Bomb and Survival Guide. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. So um, I guess I just want you to take me back. My The first question I always ask all of my guests was, you know, we're all in music for one reason or another. We're passionate about it. So what what was it for you? What was like your first time that you thought, man, music is great and I want to be a part of this? Uh, well, I'm from a I grew up in a really small town in central California and uh I was so blown away by Green Day when they came out um into the mainstream in in the 90s in the early 90s cuz we didn't have we didn't have access to much cool new music at all like there was no scene there was nothing underground there so um I was probably 14 okay. when uh when Dookie came out on MTV and I was just like, this is my thing. This is like me now. <laughs> I, that's, that's I'm awesome. listening to Green Day obsessively. <laughs> that's awesome that you say that. Cause I think, I think I just turned 40. I think you're super close to me in age, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 39. Okay. So yeah. So I think we probably have some of the, some similar like musical experiences. So Green Day came out. Did you, was the first thing you saw was the long view video. I take it. Yeah. I always love that video because everything else on MTV was so like, you know, shiny and, and bright and awesome. And like Billy Joe had zits and it was just so like, <laughs> it's just a crazy looking video. I loved it. Yeah. It was kind of gross, <laughs> but it gross. wasn't, it, it was an interesting time too, because, um, cause Nirvana was really big as well already, you know, like Nirvana was massive at that time, but it, I never got into that. That was never like green day was, it was like a lightning bolt for me. <laughs> do you, do you think like the grunge stuff, because it was so angst ridden and everything, was that something that you just couldn't get behind or? Um, I don't know. I mean, cause green day was pretty angst ridden too, but just in a different way, you yeah, know? Yeah. Different way. <laughs> so maybe what, it just wasn't high energy enough for me. What was the, what was the town that you grew up in? It was Los Banos, Los Banos. And you said that's in central California. Yeah, it's kind of um, it's like an hour and 15 minutes north of Fresno. Oh, OK. Somewhere, somewhere around Fresno. <laughs> See, I, I grew up in Indiana, so it, growing up in Indiana, you just think that California is this like amazing place. But I guess there are like small kind of microcosms that aren't quite as cool as like San Francisco or or, you know, the bigger places that get all the music right away. Yeah, totally. So you probably <laughs> yeah, had a pretty was, pretty similar upbringing than I was in Muncie, Indiana. So it's probably about the same thing. Yeah, probably. Um, how far were you from like the next major, like what was the I major was city? Only about an hour north of Indianapolis, but Indianapolis in and of itself is still pretty like we didn't get stuff right away. We got stuff maybe two or three years after the West Coast or the East Coast did. Yeah. So yeah, it, I, I talk about it on the podcast all the time, like the bands that I liked. Like I remember seeing, you know, when the Offspring and Green Day both came out, I, I had Pete Parada from the Offspring on last week, and uh, I was telling him that, you know, I I saw Noodles from the Offspring in their first video wearing a Pennywise shirt, so I just went to the record store and bought a Pennywise record. I didn't even know what it was. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that is exactly what it was like for me. I mean, I wonder. I'm sure it was similar in in most places outside of a city, you yeah. know, at the time where you're just like, you have to do your research by just seeing what, you know, like my thing was that I, like, I got the Dookie record and then 
I saw that, um, I saw that they had, uh, welcome to paradise was like, had been released already. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the local, we only had one little tiny record store and, um, and the guy there had to order everything for me that I wanted because he didn't have it in stock, but luckily he was super on it. And so I'd be like, I'd bring, I'd bring in the little, uh, booklet or the CD and be like, so I think there's another, I think they have another record before this one. Like, can you, can you get that for me? And, and, you know, and then I'd, I'd read the thank yous and be like, they think rancid and operation (laughs) Ivy a lot. So I want to order those records too. (laughs) So did like when that happened and you listened to green day and you got into like op Ivy and, and rancid was punk rock kind of, I felt like it was my little secret when I got into it when I was young. Is that how you kind of felt? Oh yeah, totally. Nobody else in my town even really liked it. Like they weren't, they just weren't into it. It seemed like. So did that automatically make you want to like actually, you know, participate and sing or play guitar or like what, what was your first kind of foray into doing music yourself? Yeah. It's funny to think back because I really just, um, I loved it so much. Like I, I was obsessed with green day and just anything that was, that was punk rock at all. So I really just wanted to do it. I just wanted to be in it. And I knew that I could sing decently enough. You know, it's not like you have to be great (laughs) to be in a punk band. So, uh, so my, um, my brothers were already, my brothers and my cousin were already playing in a band. Uh, my brothers were a little bit, or they are a little bit older than me. So, um, so they were playing and I was like, they, if they can do it, they were kind of playing more like rock, just like straight rock. You know, yeah. my, my one brother really liked like Aerosmith and uh, classic rock and that kind of stuff. And, uh, so I'd watch them play and be like, come on guys, like, <laughs> <laughs> let me sing. I want to sing. So one time they, um, they, the first time I ever sang in public, they were performing at the Los Banos Mother's Day fair like in the park mother's day in the park awesome (laughs) and uh we had during their practices they would let me sing um offspring they would let me sing um oh what was that one not the first single not keep them separated but the second one the slower one uh the uh oh man i can't remember what it is but uh yeah i'm talking about those self-esteem yes 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 uh, they would let me sing that at their practices. And so during their show, my brother was like, Oh, our sister's going to come up and sing a song. And I had no idea. And, uh, I just went and sang the offspring. <laughs> what, what was the name of their band back then? Uh, it was called Primrose path. Primrose path. Okay. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> so when yeah, you, uh, so the- you were singing with Primrose path and then, uh, like, did you start a band in high school or like what, what led you to kind of, you know, your, your career path? Yeah, I did. I started a band. Um, I started a band. We were called generic asphalt. (laughs) (laughs) High school band names are awesome. I I was in, I I was in a band called chronic chaos because we learned about chronic (laughs) fatigue syndrome in health class. And we put chaos on the end of it because we thought it sounded cool. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So I started this 
this pop punk band called generic asphalt. And at one point we, we were a four piece and then our bass player left for college. So then I played bass for the next year and sang. And then when I went to college, um, I started another band that was a three piece pop punk band called Plinky. And I played bass and sang in that. Was bass always kind of like your chosen instrument? Yeah. I mean, at the time it was, um, it was kind of out of necessity since our bass player left. I, I started just singing and, uh, and then took over on bass just because he left. And luckily it was easy enough for me to do it. Um, did you ever have any like formal, like music lessons as far as playing bass or guitar or singing? No, no, never, never took any lessons. Probably should. I probably should take some vocal lessons. <laughs> I, I've had a couple of people on the podcast that, you know, like they didn't take any lessons either, but then when they got, you know, actually into their career and they were actually making a living at doing it, then they started figuring out the warm ups and, and how to do everything correctly. Yeah. I thought about getting a vocal coach at one point, but I just never, I just never did. I kind of was, I mean, it's kind of illogical, I guess, but I think I felt like, Oh, they're going to, it's embarrassing because I've been singing for this long and I, they're going to be like, you don't know how to sing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so you were in high school, you were playing in uh, that band and then you got into college. You started another band in college. So you joined Tsunami Bomb in 1999, correct? Yes. So uh, I, I think I read something. I was doing a little bit of research. Your brother was maybe like roommates with someone in Tsunami Bomb. Is that how that kind of happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my brother, so I followed him up to the, he, I went to the same college he did at Sonoma state. Um, and when I got there, he, he was a musician as well. He was the drummer for that, for Primrose path. And he played in a bunch of bands up there and, uh, at Sonoma. And uh, so he was already like, you know, knew a bunch of musicians and was part of the whole scene when I arrived. So, um, it was like, you know, stepping into a bunch of, um, like a whole network of people instantly. So that was great. But yeah, he, at one point he was roommates with Dom, our bass player. And, uh, they, when I moved, uh, when I was in Plinky, they had another singer. Um, so I think probably 98 was when Tsunami Bomb started. Okay. Um with the with the other singer and then she moved away and uh, Plinky had been playing that you know that band that I had started Plinky was playing with Tsunami Bomb um already like we'd play shows together and stuff. And we did the split 7-inch together. <laughs> oh okay. So you were friendly with everybody in the band like prior to joining the band then. Yeah. So when you, when you joined the band, it seemed like, I mean, they, they have a, they had a record out already when you joined? No, okay. no, there was nothing out. So what was the, what was the process like after you joined? Because I know you guys eventually landed at Kung Fu records like in 2002, but there's some years in between there. I know you worked with, uh, like checkmate records, which is Hunter from AFI's label. What was the process of, you know, getting signed or trying to put things out? Like take me back to that time and tell me how those years were. Yeah. Um, we, so the first thing we did was the split seven inch with Plinky. And we, we, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. With Plinky. 
And uh, so I was on both sides. And um, that's pretty awesome. It's like a full length album for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we just paid for that ourselves and had it pressed. And um, there were enough of us, you know, since it was a split, there were enough of us that we could each, I think we each paid like a hundred dollars. We each put a hundred dollars towards it and were able to press it and, you know, fold all the paper ourselves and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then somewhere along the line, we, we met Hunter. He was kind of around in our, in our circle, even though he lived in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, he was like going to local shows and stuff. I don't remember how or where I met him, but he, um, yeah, he released our second seven inch, um, which I think really, really helped us a lot. You know, I mean, he was in AFI, so that was kind of a, a big thing. I mean, not huge, but it definitely, it's nice to have some some like name recognition or working with someone who has done things in the past. So, I mean, I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They had, uh, they already had a lot of fans at that point. So I'm sure there were people that were like, Oh, Hunter did this thing. Yeah. You know, released this thing. Like, let's check it out. So was there a lot of touring back in those like formidable years back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did our first tour. I don't know if it was, I want to say probably 2000, probably, probably late. I, I don't know when, no, some, it was a summer. So it was either 2000 or it was definitely 2000. <laughs> so fairly, fairly quickly after you joined, you guys kind of got on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just booking ourselves for the first, for the first few tours. Was it a lot of just like the Western part of the country or did you guys venture East at all? Uh, we, we actually, we kept doing the South. So we, our first tour, we went to Texas and back and then Um, and then we went to, uh, then we went, I think at one point on one of those early tours, we went all the way across to, to the East coast and back, but I think it was across the South again. Did you have any, uh, breakdowns? (laughs) Oh yeah. All the time. (laughs) That's like, that's a, that's a running kind of joke on this show is like when you first start doing touring, you think everything's going to be great. And then like, you know, you get four towns away and your van breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any like like crazy stories about breaking down? Like we were I remember with the Ataris, uh, we were driving out to pick up our singer one time. He was in Arizona recording some vocals. So we were in a van and we we're going to pick him up and then drive out to Pomona to start the warp tour. And we our whole radiator exploded in uh, Gallup, New Mexico. And we were there for like four days at this <laughs> at this truck stop. And like the people felt bad for us and gave us free food. And it was it was a nasty time. <laughs> Yeah, we had a very similar experience. Um, it's like you never forget the town, right? That you. Yeah, that's every that time you, that I've been through Gallup. I mean, Gallup, it's off of the interstate a little bit. But every time I've been driving west for anything at all, I always stop there at that truck stop and like get something to drink and kind of hang out for a second. Just take it all back in. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's and nice all the that other, you feel like that. All the other, all the, all the other guys that were there, like, cause we're all doing different things now. And some of the guys are touring with other bands or they're roadieing or whatever. Anytime anyone's ever in Gallup, we have a group text and we send pictures to each other. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Ours was Lordsburg, New Mexico. Oh, so it was New Mexico again. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah. And it was the warp tour. Cause I think it must be because of the heat, you know, like yeah. driving across New Mexico in the middle of summer and, 
um, our van broke down and, uh, we like rode in the back of some guy's pickup to, to a hotel or to a motel, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, no H on there. There's uh, an M on there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, we, we were able to, I think this was the same time we were able to like, uh, it was our, um, it was a really bad, um, like they needed to order a part, you know, and we're in Lordsburg, New Mexico. So they had to order a part and it took like four days or something for it to come in. But, um, we were able to get somehow we contacted somebody, um, who was on warp tour and we grabbed our merch and a couple of us went to the warp tour anyway and sold some merch and we're just like we our vans broken down uh in new mexico uh help us out and buy a t-shirt or something <laughs> that's awesome so and then and then we eventually met back up somewhere in phoenix or something so uh yeah i know you guys were kind of a staple on the warp tour i remember seeing even the ones that i wasn't on i just always saw your name was that kind of a thing that really pushed the band's like you know popularity Oh yeah, I think so. That it definitely, it was really, really awesome exposure for us. We only did one year for the entire summer. That That's, that's brutal. Have... <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I've I, I normally like I've done, I was trying the other day, I was talking to a buddy and I was trying to figure out how many days I've actually done and it's somewhere up in the hundreds, but like I've only done it once the entire tour myself. So I know what you're saying. It, if you do like two or three weeks here and there, it's not a bad thing, but three months straight parking lots every day. It's brutal. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it was super fun, but yeah, it was, it was exhausting for sure. So can you, uh, take me back then to how you guys ended up on Kung Fu records? Uh, I actually played bass for a while in a band called undermined and the Atari's also, you know, did some stuff with Kung Fu. So I know the people over there, they're nice people. How did you guys get hooked up with them? Um, I believe it was through, yeah, it was definitely through our um our management because at the time we had we had managers and a booking agent and one of our managers uh I think she used to manage the label. She used to manage Kung Fu. Okay. So she kind of hooked Well, um we missed a step in there though because we had a we had an EP out on Tomato Head Records. Oh yeah. Which was, um, That's on my notes. I just skipped over it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, tell me <laughs> about okay. Tomato Head first and then we'll jump into Kung Fu. Um yeah, so Chuck from Tomato Head, Chuck was in Skanking Pickle. Okay, yeah. And he lived somewhere in the Bay Area. Now I can't I can't remember like Walnut Creek or something like that. Um, so he lived up there in the Bay area and I don't know, (laughs) I haven't been asked that question. I don't even know if I've ever been asked how we got (laughs) set up with tomato heads. It's an an exclusive. If you can remember how it happened, I have an exclusive on my show. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how we met Chuck. Um, Maybe, I mean, I don't think it was through Hunter since AFI is not a ska band by any means. No. (laughs) Uh, Think about that though. If it was like a gothy, like kind of horror punk ska band, that would be awesome. (laughs) That would be pretty awesome. Especially if it was just, if it was the same lineup. Yeah. Like Davey had like a checkerboard, like leather jacket (laughs) on and was skanking as he was singing and all kinds of stuff. That's great. (laughs) 
So you got on Tomato Head, uh, Chuck from Skanking Pickle. What was the name of? Was it Was an EP or was it a full length that came out on that label? It was an EP. An yeah. EP, okay. And uh, so then you guys were still touring and doing everything you needed to do. Then how did the, you think your management hooked you guys up with Kung Fu? That's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty positive. That was what it was. Was there a, was there a marked difference in going from a label like, you know, checkmate and tomato head to Kung Fu, which at the time was kind of a, one of the premier indie labels back then. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was a, a big move for us. I think, one of the biggest things was that then we were part of a, a roster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, including the Ataris, uh, and the Vandals. I, I don't think the Vandals were on Kung Fu at that time, but, uh, but it's the label is owned by Joe from the Vandals. So, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, I, I got to stay at his house one time uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I don't know if Joe, he probably doesn't listen to this. I haven't talked to him in years, but the coolest thing, and you might know if you guys were on the label, maybe you were there. Um, I right down the street from like the offices or whatever. He had this place. I, I don't know if he still lives there or not, but when I was touring with this band undermined, <clears throat> we actually got to, we didn't have anywhere to stay that night. So we went and slept in his basement of his house. And he had this room that had all of his laminates from, from like the entire time he's been playing music. It was insane. I was looking through all of them, taking pictures because I was a geek. And the funny thing was, though, in that same room, he had a million pieces of Saved by the Bell memorabilia. <laughs> and you're my age, so you know. I don't know. You might not like it. Saved by the Bell is one of my like childhood memories. I love it. I, I, I've won trivia contests about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> So the fact that I was at Joe's house looking through all of his cool stuff. And then all of a sudden he had like this shrine to say by the bell. It was the coolest thing ever. So that's so funny. I don't remember. I don't remember the save by the bell tribute. We definitely stayed at his house um, quite a lot. Uh, I just thought but... it was awesome because like he had a Segway sitting out by his pool. And I'm like, wow, man, this is a whole, <laughs> whole different way to live. <laughs> <laughs> but that was when Kung Fu was really doing well. <laughs> Yeah. So, did he have the, uh, the Lord of the Rings pinball machine? I believe he did. Yeah. I'm just now, yeah. I'm now like going through the memories in my head, trying to figure out what all was there, but yeah, that was, that's awesome. Yeah. So you guys were on Kung Fu and, uh, the ultimate escape. That was the first record on Kung Fu, correct? Yep. How did, how was the reception when that first came out? I know you guys grew the band through touring and whatnot, but you know, with the promotion Kung Fu put into it, was it received well when it came out? Yeah, uh, it seemed good. I mean, it didn't, I don't think it like, you know, blew any, anyone out of the water or anything, but, um, but yeah, it went well. It was, uh, doing well enough that we kept going on Kung Fu. What was the recording process like? And like the writing process, did you guys get to go to like a studio, like a bigger studio that you've never been to before? Like, was there, I'm sure you had more of a budget for that record. Yeah, we recorded in LA. Um, and we did pre-production there too. We actually did pre-production at Kung Fu. Um, and we had Steve Kravak producing it, which he did, um, at that point he had done, um, MXPX, like some MXPX records, some of the earlier MXPX records and, uh, some other stuff. I can't quite remember what he, what else he did, but. You're friendly with those guys, right? Because I know that you did like uh, some vocals on one of their records, like their cover record. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've done a couple things for them. Yeah. They're, they're great people. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Have you heard the new MXPX record? Uh, the, <laughs> the one that just came out. <laughs> no, it's self-titled actually. They finally like this long into their career. They did a self-titled record. So when did it come out? I think it came out like a month or two ago. It was self-funded. They're not on a label or anything. It's really cool. Oh, no, I haven't heard it. You should check it out. I have to look. Yeah, I should. (laughs) (laughs) So you you guys were on Kung Fu. Uh, It came out. Everything was going well. So you just started touring like crazy after that? Because I'm sure like, you know, I have the same thing in, you know, my career. Once you get on a label like that, it's kind of like go time, right? You have to monopolize on what you're doing. You have to keep going, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is what we wanted to do anyway. So it was was super fun. And being on Kung Fu... um, got us all, you know, all the right connections to just be able to keep touring and touring. And, uh, they also had the, um, overseas office too. So we were able to tour in Europe a few times, which was really awesome. Any favorite places in Europe that you've been? I always, I, I'm, I like traveling a lot. So I always kind of go on tangents whenever anybody talks about traveling over there. Oh yeah, me too. I love, I love traveling, especially internationally, but, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I loved it. All of it. I, we got to go to, um, I guess the, the kind of the outlier is Prague. We got to go there. Love Prague. Yeah. That was so awesome. We got to go there one time when we were touring with bouncing souls. That's um, awesome. and, uh, I mean, I loved everything about touring internationally. It was amazing. And we got to go to Japan once too. How was it in Japan? Did you enjoy it over there? I loved it. I loved it so much. I want to go back. I haven't been back since, since that one time, but it was, it was amazing. The fans over there, they are, they are passionate. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. So you, so you guys did a lot of stuff in Europe, like many times, or was it just a couple of times there at the beginning? How many times were you guys actually overseas? Um, I'm not sure we went, uh, we did go multiple times. It's kind of hard to, I'd have to like sit down and and make some notes because it was like, sometimes we would go just the UK. We did, I think we did just the UK maybe four times, four or five times. Um, and then the mainland we did maybe that same amount of times, but sometimes it was like all in one tour and sometimes it was split up. We went with the vandals a couple times and with bouncing souls. And then we did a, like a co-headline, um, with hopes fall at one point and yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> so, uh, where, where did the, the, the stage name agent M come from? I know that M your name's Emily, so I'm sure that's where the M came from, but was there, was there a reason to do stage names Did everybody in the band have a stage name? Um, if my stage name was just, just based off of super early on, obviously super early on in the band. Um, I, for one Halloween, I was dressed as an agent, like a, like a James Bond type, like secret agent type person. And, uh, and that it just came from that and it stuck and it, it, you know, I just ended up using it. And yeah, a couple other, not everybody had a stage name. Um, there was, uh, 
our drummer Gabe was Gabriel 37, which he, he didn't, he didn't always use. Sometimes he used, but not really. I mean, mine was the only one that people were actually like called me by, you know? And I think probably because I would just introduce myself as M always. And I'm still, I'm kind of still used to that. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I've kind of been in a quandary for the last like couple years. Cause I'm like, it's weird to like, I, it's weird. I kind of want to introduce myself as M still, <laughs> Yeah. but it's also, also people always would be like, what? <laughs> Every time I'd say M they're like, what? <laughs> so, um, I just lost my train of thought cause I was laughing. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. So you guys, how many records did you put out on, on Kung Fu? Was it just the one or were there two? There were two. Okay. I, I, there were two. I spaced the name of the second one. Can you tell me about the second one? Yeah, there was uh, the Definitive Act. Definitive the Act. One. Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, was that kind of the same thing? You guys, did you sign originally for two records or was it a period of time? What was the contract like when you guys signed? Do you remember? Yeah, we actually signed for three records. Okay. Um, uh, with each one was like an option from the label, you know, so like we released the first one and then we had to wait and see if they wanted to do the second one. And, um, and they did. So we did the second one. Who was the, and produ- that one, no, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask who produced that one. That one was produced by Mike Porman, um, from, uh, hot rod circuit. Okay. And he was based in Boston. So we got to go to Boston and record there for a couple of weeks, which was super fun. That's cool. So yeah. did, did that record come out to the same sort of fanfare the first one did? How did that record do? Yeah, I think it did well. We had, um, we had a, a nice professional music video done for our single and, and that went well. And I mean, you know, with every, with every release, there's always like people who are like, Oh, I like the old stuff better, you know? Yeah. Or I like the last record better, but I feel like that's just, um, that's just what happens when you release more than one record, you know, like some people it's there. Some people are like, this is my jam. And other people are like, Oh, I like the old stuff. Well, yeah. And I, I always go back to that. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It's like, you have your whole life to write your debut record and then you have six months to write the next one. Totally. I think about that all the time too. What I'm, when I'm listening to, you know, different bands and if their second record is good, I'm like really impressed. <laughs> and, and plus, I mean, people don't realize I was talking to, I can't remember who it was, but we were talking about how, you know, Metallica, like people got so mad every time a new Metallica record comes out, but they come out like every six years. Think about the changes you go through in six years. You're not just going to be the same person putting out the same record over and over again. Was, was there a marked difference on those two records? I mean, I've listened to both records, but I, I for you, was there like you guys trying to grow or trying to like try new things? Yeah, kind of. I mean, we were, it, it, it was a lot like what you're saying where, um, for the second record, you know, with, after the first record came out and we were just touring nonstop, it was like, well, now we got to figure out when to make time to like, there's no time to write a second record. Yeah. Uh, but now that we're, we have a little bit of a spotlight on us, we kind of got to hurry up and do it, you know, while there's, while there's momentum. So it definitely was, um, was kind of, um, rushed in a lot of ways and, um, and 
concentrated, you know, like we, like, whereas the first record and all the early stuff, we'd be like, Oh, let's, we're messing around and let's, let's write a song and see how it goes. Or this was like, okay, we're in the studio in the practice space. Like we're writing right now, we're writing all day. Like we're just working hard on it. And I think that that, um, that definitely gives sort of a different kind of weird urgency to, to the music, you know? So when you guys, you guys put that out, I remember seeing, uh, on one of the, one of the alternative press warp tour editions, it was like you and my career and like some other people were on the cover of the magazine. Did you think that this was like, I mean, I know at one point I thought, man, this is my career. And then, you know, the music industry kind of makes that decision for you. <laughs> but, uh, did you think at one point, like, man, you know, we're going to be all over TV. We're going to do this. We're just going to, I'm going to buy a mansion. Like, was that ever even in your mind? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I always, I always, uh, have big dreams, but at the same time, I've always kind of been like, well, we'll just see where this goes, you know? Yeah. And I never felt like, I mean, definitely, um, punk rock had, had surges in, in mainstream music, you know, and there was the whole time where, bands were getting signed to majors and stuff, but it was like, it was still, everything seemed so up in the air still, even then. And maybe, maybe that's also because our, I never felt like our situation was super solid. Like we, we had, you know, kind of some rotating band members going on and just internal stuff that was, we were never like, yes, we're going to take over the world, you know? (laughs) So so no, <laughs> to answer well, I, your question. <laughs> well, I always, I always just kind of like, I told myself my whole life, if I could just pay my bills and be self-sufficient playing music, I'd be happy. And then when you get to that point, you start thinking, oh, well, what's the next level like? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, I totally, I totally get what you're saying because I've been in many bands where the, the stability of the, the members maybe wasn't the, wasn't the best. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and back to the AP cover, like I was, I was always blown away by that. Like, I still can't believe that I was on that cover with those people. Just like, what? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> How, it is super awesome. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I never, I don't, I don't think that that kind of stuff ever, ever, uh, you know, made me feel like I was gonna do you have be that a rock star. Fr- do you have that framed in your house or anything? No, (laughs) I do have a bunch of copies of it somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I've got I've got I've got like a scrapbook that I I show my wife and whoever cares, but it's it's all hidden in like a drawer somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I have a box of some stuff. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, the band initially broke up. I know now they're kind of back together doing some stuff with some original like the old school lineup. But in 2005, the band broke up. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, Um we were, we were starting to get ready to write our third album, which we had, you know, we had the option with, um, with Kung Fu and it was kind of like, there was not one specific thing that made us decide to break up. It, there was a whole, it was almost like every, there wasn't one aspect of the band that was going awesome. I suppose uh, from the outside, it seemed like it was going awesome because we had, you know, our record and we released the DVD and, um, 
we were touring a ton still, like everything, everything seemed to be going well, but really it was like, we had tension pretty much in every, in every aspect of the band within our, with our management, we had some tension going on and with the label, there was some, there were some issues and within the band and with the writing. And so it wasn't like we just had a big crazy fight or anything. It was like, you know what, this is like, where do we, what do we lean on right now? You know, like we've got, like everything has sort of a weakness going on and none of us are like gung ho about, about writing another record. So we just decided to call it quits. What was the feeling like after that? Because like I've, I've quit bands before and I've had bands break up before and you, I always kind of go through that, that identity crisis a little bit. Did that happen to you when that, when the band broke up? Uh, it did not really happen to me. Um, probably because I was one of the people who wanted to break up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I gotcha. (laughs) But, uh, like I was a dumpy I mean, dumper, not a dumpy. (laughs) So, but, uh, but I also wanted to, uh, Matt, our bass player, Matt and I, like, we already had kind of been like, man, we should maybe just do something else. Like, you know, we were kind of speculating on what it would be like if we weren't in Tsunami Bomb and, and what we could do if we weren't and stuff like that. So, so we were kind of just messing around with, with other music um, not too long after Tsunami Bomb broke up. And you guys started, was the action design? Is that what it was called? Yep. Okay. I was yeah, trying. the action design. <laughs> my notes just fell on the floor, so I was trying to <laughs> remember out of my brain. So uh, <laughs> Good job. Thanks. So you guys started doing that like right after the breakup, or you were already kind of doing things right before the breakup? Uh, we weren't doing anything before the breakup. Um, and it wasn't right after. We, we actually took... I don't know how many, some months, a few months probably, um, to kind of like wind down from tsunami bomb. And I was, um, uh, I guess at that point we, we kind of needed, um, to adjust (laughs) to not being in tsunami bomb and like, you know, figuring out what we're going to do for money and stuff like that. Not that we were, I mean, we weren't totally getting paid to live by tsunami bomb. Most of us, I think all of us still had jobs, but, uh, the non-touring, you know, like kind of stopping touring took some adjustment for sure. And then after, after however many months we were like, okay, let's, let's do some stuff. So did you guys put out a record? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We put out an EP and we put out a full length as well. Was that just self-released or were you guys on a label? Um, we first, we self-released our EP and then it was re-released with some different tracks uh, on pop smear, which is based in the, um, up in the Bay area, okay. um, North of San Francisco and San Rafael. And they released our full length as well. So when, when you live in Texas now, correct? I do. When did you, yeah, end San up, Antonio, were you like right up until the band broke up, you guys were still in California. What, when did you move to Texas and what brought you down there? I actually just moved to Texas, um, a little over a year ago. Wow. So I, yeah, so I was in Northern California for that, that whole time. Um, and my husband is from Texas. He's from the Dallas area. He actually, uh, 
used to tour manage Tsunami Bomb. That's how I met him. So you may have met him along the line. At That's some awesome. Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we like traveled the world together and stuff, which was really cool. Uh, so, and he got a job here and he had been with me in California, you know, since back then. So I kind of knew at some point, like, Oh, we'll probably move to Texas. I've been like keeping him from his home state. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we're here. I don't know. I don't know like what the future holds, but we're here for now. My wife and I have been uh, discussing moving to Nashville because like there's so many people that I know that are in like prominent punk rock bands for some reason, they've all moved to Nashville and everybody I talk to, it's like, man, it's so cheap here, but I already live in Indiana. It's super cheap here, but (laughs) I want to move to Nashville just because there's so many cool musicians I know down there. Yeah. Nashville's awesome. So you're uh, so you did the action design. How long were you in that? Are you guys still doing that? Cause I know you're doing something new now. No, we stopped doing that in, I believe, probably 2010 or 11, maybe 11, somewhere around there. I start, it's funny, I have, I keep better track of the years, the years of Tsunami Bomb, but not action design. I'm like, um, <laughs> I don't quite know what we, yeah. I think because there just wasn't, there weren't as many events. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so we did that for, we, we toured and everything too. Our last tour was with, um, was with social distortion, Wow, which was awesome. That was probably the biggest tour that I ever did. That's insane. Did you get to hang out with Mike? Yeah. That's yeah. It was super cool. That's awesome. (laughs) So what do you, what do you know? You know, a couple months back, he did that thing where he like, you know, got in the fight with the, the MAGA hat wearing guy. What do you think about that? Oh no, I did. I actually did not know about that. You didn't know about that. Oh man, no. it was all over. Like there were people that, that like I teach guitar for a living and there's people, uh, I had a social distortion shirt on one day and this guy was like, you like that band? I'm like, yeah, I love that band. I didn't know about it either. And then he told me and I went on the internet and it was on TMZ and all this stuff. I guess some guy, <laughs> some like Trump supporter was at a social D show and Mike Ness was saying like, his thoughts on the president, which is what you do when you're in a band and you can say whatever the hell you want. And, uh, the guy didn't like it and was flipping him off and doing all this stuff. So Mike Ness got off the stage and knocked him out. Oh, uh, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, I do feel like I did hear about that. Yeah, I do I think. <laughs> so I know I just, I wondered yeah. if you'd heard, I didn't even know about well, it. I mean, then- I, I for sure wouldn't want to get punched in the face by Mike Ness. I, I would not. If I, if I was to, ha- I got to meet him one time in passing. And if I actually got to hang out with him, I would just sit there quietly and go, yes, Mr. Ness. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's amazing. So you guys, was that a, a U.S. tour you guys were on with Social D? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it wasn't a super long tour. It wasn't like a full U.S. or anything, but, um, but yeah, it was a U.S. tour. That's awesome. So you guys quit doing that like in 2010. Now, I really want to know about Survival Guide. That's the new thing you've got going on. It's kind of I've seen pictures and videos. You're playing uh, like a keyboard, like a synth, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I've got um, it's it's just me. It started out as a two piece. I had Jason playing guitar who used to be in action design. And he was also in, before that, we toured with him in Tsunami Bomb in his band Pipe Down. I don't know if you heard of that. I've, I've heard like of a Pipe Sacramento Down, yeah. Based. Yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he was in that band and then the action design, and then he was in, we started Survival Guide together. And then he quit, um, I don't know how many, like 
three, four years ago. I don't know how many years ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just me playing keyboards. And I have uh, like a drum, like a sampler that's got some drums and guitar and whatnot on it. So I just play along to it. And you just you just got back from a tour recently because I know when we were trying to schedule this this chat, you were uh, getting ready to go on the road, right? Yeah, I did a little, it was just a short little mini tour, but yeah, I did. I went up to, um, I went to the outskirts of Chicago and back. Okay. So are you planning on, uh, like working, are you working with a label right now or is this a lot of this stuff just self-release as well? Um, the stuff so I have one, um, one full length out and two seven inches and they were released. Actually, I don't remember the first seven inch. Yeah, I think all three of them were re- released on Side With Us Records, which is just a small label out of San Francisco. And um, so I'm working on the next album now. And I probably will self-release. I might do Side With Us. Side With Us is like a, it's kind of like um, a partnership anyway. So like if I if I want to release on side with us. I, I can probably, um, but I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do yet. I mean, in this day and age, you know, labels are great, but you could probably do awesome just releasing it yourself. Yeah. I mean, I got the distribution, the like digital distribution going, you know, myself and, and all that. So I feel like the benefit to a label now would only be the same thing as it was before, with uh with joining being a, on roster. a roster yeah joining yeah. a roster like you feel like you're a part of a family <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and you have people to tour with and whatnot so uh we were chatting you know over facebook and whatnot and you were like worried what i was going to ask and if you're going to forget anything so did you prepare anything <laughs> like tour story wise well i I did. I did um go through my memory and try to think of some good <laughs> tour stories okay um And, uh, but none of them are, I feel like when people are like, what's your craziest tour story? Like nothing is super exciting. I feel like when other bands tell these stories, they're like, oh, we climbed the Eiffel tower and one guy jumped off and parachuted and it's like all super crazy. But, uh, for us, it was, there was nothing like that. There was nothing like super wild, I guess. Um, but one thing that I thought of uh, that's just an interesting story is when we toured with bouncing souls, we toured with them. Uh, we did a full U S tour with them and then we pretty much immediately did Europe with them too. And we shared a bus. And when we got there, we flew into Amsterdam and we got on our bus and we were in Amsterdam and we're like, woo, all right, we're on tour. And literally probably 10 minutes into the drive, we're still in Amsterdam and we're in this double decker bus and we're all upstairs hanging out and the bus driver hits a low bridge, hits, <laughs> like just he, crashes. Well, you mean like the bridge was too low for the <laughs> yeah. bus? Oh my God. Yeah. The bridge was too low and we just all flew out of our seats and, um, <laughs> And it was crazy. It was like, there's the, there's a front lounge. Like luckily none of us were in the front lounge because we walked up there to the front and there's just like a bridge inside the bus. Jeez. (laughs) 
So, um, I'm sure, so yeah, I'm sure you the, guys got a new bus driver and a new bus, correct? Yes, <laughs> we did. But for the rest, the whole rest of the tour, cause like the, you know, the bus company was like, they weren't prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the whole rest of the tour, we kept having to change buses. I mean, that's not like a, a something that's really worth complaining about, but it was, it was kind of like, what we'd like be touring for a couple days and like, Oh, your new bus is showing next bus is showing up, uh, tomorrow. Cause like they were, you know, they were all set up on different schedules. And, um, so we had to, that, that day though, we had to wait another, like 10 hours or something for the next bus. Wow. So I remember, and you know, with the, with the, uh, time difference, um, I remember just, we went to like some pub and I just fell asleep at the table. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like 5am my time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So you did well. You thought of a good story. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. It's not super exciting, but <laughs> just th- a thing that happened on tour. <laughs> well, that, and that's what we normally talk about. Like people always think that it's, you know, Oh, tell me all the exciting stuff that happened. I'm like, okay, well, after the gig, I went back to the hotel and watched true blood. Like that's what yeah. I, I mean. Like, <laughs> There's totally. certain times that things happen, but most of the time, like, I mean, I don't drink or do anything like that. So I was pretty lame on tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it took me like five or six times of actually going to London or that area, like the UK before I actually saw Stonehenge. Did you guys get to do any sightseeing when you were doing these tours or was it all pretty like scheduled out? We got to do sightseeing sometimes, but we never saw Stonehenge. That's awesome. You need we to go, you need to go see it. <laughs> I know. I know. We, um, we went to London a good number of times to where we, we did go to like, we, uh, we went on the London eye and to big Ben and parliament and the British museum and the, um, torture museum or whatever else yeah. is there yeah. and Camden and the punk rock shopping and yeah like sometimes if we'd get if we'd go to a city multiple times like that then we're lucky enough to get to see some stuff but always always I felt like it was a tiny sample you know especially being in Europe it's like well we're in Paris for one day yeah and not even really (laughs) a full day when you think about it right because you're working for part of the day and I mean that did you guys ever do South America no we know we were supposed to do um Argentina, not long before we broke up, it was like scheduled for 2005 before tsunami bomb broke up. But, uh, there was like a fire in the club or there was a fire, there was a fire at one of the other clubs. And then, and our show was like three weeks later and the fire department shut down all the clubs. Yeah. When you, when you do South America, it's, it's sometimes you get a little bit extra time, but most of the time it's like, the, 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 like the companies that bring you down there, like the, the promo company or whatever, they, they want to save as much money as possible. So it's like you fly in, you go to sound check, you go to the hotel, you eat dinner, you go play the show, you go back to the hotel, you take a shower, you go to the airport and then you fly <laughs> to the next place. Like there's literally no time to do anything. Oh, wow. That sucks. <laughs> we, I talk about this tour cause it was like a life changing tour. Uh, we went to South Africa back in 2009 and, oh, wow. That's and, amazing. Well, and the cool thing was, is that uh, Authentic Ideas, this company that brought us down, they worked with like Under Oath and No Effects and a bunch of different bands. But when they brought us down, they we had like a day between every show. 
So we actually got to go like see penguins in Cape Town and see great white sharks in Durban. And we actually got to do things. And it was like the first time I'd been on a tour where I was like, wow, we're not just, you know, every minute of my entire life is just taken up on a schedule. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. It was, it was really cool. And I, my, my listeners are probably sick of hearing me talk about South Africa, but if you get to go there, <laughs> if you get to go, you should go. Well, it's really I'm cool. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, I think I've taken up enough of your time today. I do appreciate you being on the show. The last thing I want to ask you is, you know, survival guide. That's your current thing you've got going right now. What do you have in the works for the future? What do you see? I mean, how's it going to go? You got to do more touring. Do you have more records coming out? What's going on? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm currently working on a full length, so I'm going to definitely, this will be the first thing that I have ever written by myself, which is like a really big thing for me. (laughs) Um, so I'm working on that. Um, and I, and I plan on like, because it's just me, I'm, I'm excited. I'm brainstorming like different friends and stuff that I can have play guest, you know, do some guest guitar and vocals and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm working on a full length and I'm kind of just that, that little tour that I did was the first shows that I've played since moving to Texas. Um, it, it's been like a really big adjustment for me moving out here. Uh, so I'm now like kind of playing one-off shows here and there, and I don't have a booking agent, but Um, I'm kind of not sure. I feel like, I don't know. I'm kind of in a, in a place where I'm not sure if I want to really pursue, um, getting an agent and touring a lot or just kind of doing it on my own terms. Like I have been for a little while. So I'm, I'm in that arena. I'm not totally sure, but I'm definitely releasing more music at some point here. And, um, I'm doing a Patreon, which is cool because I have a lot of people who are, have been fans of mine for, you know, since tsunami bomb days are on there. So I've been doing a lot of fun stuff with that and like doing all these different cover requests and stuff, which is cool. Well, Emily, I just want to say thank you so much. And, uh, I'm going to, I'll probably play, I'll play a tsunami bomb song and a survival guide song. I'll pick those after I get off the phone with you, but, uh, cool. Anything else you'd like to tell the listeners, anything else you've got going on? Uh, I think we covered it. I think think we covered covered everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, when you have a new record or anything come out with Survival Guide, maybe you can come back and we can talk about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. Well, have a great day and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Emily Whitehurst of Tsunami Bomb and Survival Guide. Thank you guys for checking out this week's episode and coming back week in and week out. The support is very much appreciated. If you want to help the show out, please go on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast and subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps the show grow and uh, it's the least you could do. Come on, if you like the show, you listen this far, 
go leave us a review. It'd be awesome. Uh, I'm not feeling that great, so I'm going to get out of here. I've been a little bit sick for the last couple weeks. A little bit of flu, I think. I'm not sure. But um, I'm going to leave you with a couple songs from Tsunami Bomb and Survival Guide. The first song is uh, A Lonely Chord by Tsunami Bomb. And uh, after that, I'm going to leave you with this really cool song by her solo stuff, Survival Guide. It's called So Super Slow. So I hope you guys enjoy these songs, and I will see you guys next week with my buddy Ryan J. Downey from the Speak and Destroy podcast and all other stuff he's done. He's worked for MTV and worked for Alternative Press. He's done all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, come back next week for that. We're going to keep rolling. Uh, November is going to be a little bit weird. My daughter Indy has to have a surgery, a small surgery, and uh, there might be a week or two where we don't have a new podcast episode, but I will make up for it. Maybe I'll do like two a week after that. But uh, So bear with me in November, but I will be back to full strength come December. So love you guys. Uh, this is Chris. I'm going to get out of here because I'm tired, and I will talk to you soon. Hit me up on the tweets and the Instagrams, and uh, hit me up on email, tototpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you guys next week.
terrible job of sticking to my plan. I read your face like the neon Vegas sign. Don't say you can't because I know you can. Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.